people do things for their reasons, not yours. And that was like a gong on the side of the head. And I realized that what motivated me wasn't necessarily what motivated other people. So you need to look at their needs. You know what your needs are. You walked in the room and you're pretty confident in what your needs are, but you don't really know what the other party's needs are. Welcome to the Durango Joe's podcast, where we believe everyone deserves a smile, a warm greeting, and a great cup of coffee. I'm your host, Trevor Ogborn, and as always, I have Joe Lloyd on the mic. Joe, good morning. Good morning, Trevor. You know, everything's right with the world again. I think this is our first episode since our little switcheroo. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's, uh, I'm back answering questions, not, yes. not asking them. Yes. Right. So... Today, we also have a a special guest with us today. He's a former mayor of Durango, current management advisor, and the owner of a local co-working space. So Jasper, it's my pleasure to invite you to the mic. And uh, just let me know, did I miss anything in your little intro there? You do a lot. That intro was fine. I'm a has-been and a was here in Durango. Had the opportunity to do a lot of different things in a great community. You know, that means you're a wealth of knowledge. So your value is wide and deep. Well, I always tell people when I describe Jasper, he's forgotten more about business than I know. And so (laughs) I always love going to Jasper and asking the questions that, you know, are pretty uh, rudimentary sometimes, but he's always got a really good answer and it gives you the answer. And it's like, all right, awesome. And you're off, you know? And so Jasper, I mean, in my relationship, he is my, what I would call business coach advisor. And we actually just this year negotiated a deal for the rest of the year where he will take on some projects with me mm-hmm. to advise me through some different things that are going on at Durango Joe. So yeah. Well, you, you said a key word in there, negotiation. Yes. So in episode 12, which came out on November 27th, we shared an episode about how Durango Joe's measures its financial success mm-hmm. and really ensures that that's happening. And one of the major things we talked about was leases and making sure that the cost of the space that you're in isn't cannibalizing too much of your bottom line. And one of the key ways to do that is negotiation. We actually had a a fellow reach out and say, Hey, you know, that financial episode, tons of great information, but you have to do one on negotiation. Yeah. So here we are. Yeah, he did. And I thought, you know, I called Trevor and I said, dude, we got to do this thing on negotiations. And the first person that popped into my mind, I do a lot of negotiations, but Jasper's like really good at it. And because he's, he and I just actually walked through a negotiation that actually, unfortunately, did not come to fruition. Well, but actually it had a good outcome. It did, yes. Because a lot of times if you get committed to negotiation and you're not able to walk away, you can end up doing something really stupid and signing a contract that you regret. So negotiations, it's not just that every one of them works, but the ones that should work, work, and the ones that shouldn't work you have an exit strategy. Oh yeah. That's dang. I mean, negotiations are a super valuable skill for business owners. Besides rent, what other areas are people negotiating in their lives? Well, as as I said earlier, everything's negotiable. So whether it's when you show up to work, which you should show up to work on time, but maybe you needed to leave early because you're going on vacation. So you negotiate something with your boss that you're going to work some extra time in order to have an extra Friday. Everything's negotiable. So leases, contracts, suppliers, they're just so many different things. And you don't want to do it where what I've seen in negotiations, a lot of the books about negotiations are pretty lousy because it's really taking the long view. And I think, Joe, when we worked on this one project together, 
uh, recently, we took a long view. And I think that gave us a better perspective. So it's not just about how tough you are at the negotiating table. There's a lot of preparation before you get there. And there's a lot of preparation in your follow-up and your follow-through. So it's pretty complicated. But in some cases, negotiations could be as simple as, I don't know if I can do that right now. And so for every question, there's three answers, yes, no, maybe. So part of negotiations is when to say maybe. Maybe I could consider that. (laughs) Maybe I could arrive at a little later date. Maybe I could buy your business. But you're not just saying yes, no, and everything and trying to be Mr. or Mrs. Tough person at the negotiating table. That's not really part of negotiations. That's just part of uh, what people do to sell YouTube videos. (laughs) So we've got some prepared tips for negotiating and we're going to dive right into them here. So tip number one was have a good set of advisors. What kind of advisors do you need and what roles do they play in negotiating? Well, I think just depending on the type of negotiations. I mean, if you're negotiating to buy a business, which we just, again, walked through Jasper and I, on that level, I needed several advisors. I needed Jasper, my business coach. I needed my attorney. I needed my accountant. And I needed my financial advisor, my person that is in my life that helps me project, you know, in the future. And so those five people were huge in this situation. And I brought them all to the table. If this business that I was going to buy, if it was going to come to fruition, it would have impacted everybody. And so I needed to get everybody on the same page and make sure that we were all hearing the same thing. And so, yeah, having a good team of advisors at the end of the day is really critical. Now, it's not so critical if you're negotiating maybe with your boss, you know, a time a time that you need to take off for vacation or whatever. But Jasper, what would you say? Well, I think that one of the things that I look at is if I'm negotiating, I look at the other party and see who their advisors are. Okay, so looking across the table, I look across the table. I look who their advisors are. And if they have one of the best attorneys in town, like Joe has, they have one of the better accountants in the Four Corners, like Joe has, and he has other advisors, I'm going to take Joe much more seriously because I know he's getting good advice. But if I look across the table and I see you, Trevor, and you have no advisors and just a couple of your buddies that you skateboard with or ride mountain bikes with, I know that your advisors may not be as strong as you really need. And so I'm going to take that into account. So the role of advisors is super critical in negotiations, as Joe said. So part of negotiations is how good and what are the quality of my advisors. And as Joe did, Joe was willing to get some pretty uh, hard advice during these negotiations where people said, are you crazy? Would you really do that? Are you sure? Have you considered this? And I think that was helpful in Joe's negotiation because his advisors weren't just yes people. Hmm. They were, I don't know, maybe you ought to think more about that. Yeah. I mean, I think the core thing about an advisor is they need to see your blind spots in those situations oh, as absolutely. well. If everyone's just a yes man, you've got cheerleaders. You don't have advisors. Right, right. Correct. That is, that is so correct. And those advisors also need to respect the fact that you're going to make that decision. So in Joe's case, if, if he is the lead negotiator, he's the one that's going to be signing the check. Ultimately, he's going to make that decision. And so you have to be willing also as an advisor within negotiations to know what your role is. Yeah, absolutely. So the next tip we've got here is listen and ask questions. And there's one really critical question I see up up front, which is why. Yeah. And when you're negotiating a deal with somebody like we were, 
recently. I needed to know why. The, what was the why behind this person selling the business? You know, what was their reasons? Did they need a bunch of cash right now? Did they want to, you know, have a little bit less crazy lifestyle and they just wanted to kind of let go of some of what they were been doing? And so what, what was the reason? And I think when you have that in the back of your head or in the front of your head, going into a negotiation, you're going to be able to suggest things, talk about things that's going to be right up their alley. And you're going to be able to negotiate a better deal because you're speaking to their why, you know, you're speaking to the reasons why they're wanting to sell their business or get out of the business or whatever. So that's super important. Well, and I think it makes what Jasper said about looking across the aisle, maybe not necessarily in this case at who's advising them, but looking at their motivations a little bit is super critical. You may be coming at this through a lens of, you know, the Bottom line is the price or the bottom line is the opportunity this is going to provide you. But they may be coming at it from a completely different field. And through that, they may be applying a a completely different set of standards to this whole thing than what you were anticipating. And suddenly neither of you are speaking the same language. Yeah. So Trevor, one thing you might look at is I call it needs-based negotiation. So what does that other party need? And it came from a time when I was a young manager. We retained a fellow named Bob Bo, who's since passed away, but he was an industrial psychologist. And I was thinking that in my young management days that everyone was motivated like me. <laughs> and so I couldn't figure out why people weren't motivated like me. And so finally, Bob reached over and he goes, Jasper, people do things for their reasons, not yours. And that was like a gong on the side of the head. And I realized (laughs) that what motivated me wasn't necessarily what motivated other people. So you need to look at their needs and see is what motivating them to be able to retire, to be able to have additional income, to be able to uh, not have people calling them in the middle of the night, to not be on call for the weekend, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And if you can understand those needs, then you can better tailor the negotiations to what I call uh, meet mutual needs. Because you know what your needs are. You walked in the room and you're pretty confident in what your needs are, but you don't really know what the other party's needs are. Yeah. Yeah. And when it becomes all about your needs in a way, then then the other party, I think, sees that right away and, mm-hmm. and they, they lose trust in the process and they lose trust in you. But if you're addressing things that matter to them, that relationship begins to build and and what I really think needs to happen in any negotiation of of any size is that trust needs to be established. And if it's not, and either party's looking at each other and it can easily happen, to be honest Mm -hmm. with you, can so easily happen that trust can get broken. So you want to do everything you can not to have that happen. And that's just putting yourself in those, in the other person's shoes at times and realizing, okay, well, you know, feel what they feel you know, and try to under, understand it from their perspective. And I guarantee you, I think at the end of the day, you're going to get further along in negotiations if you play it that way. Yeah, because you have two, there's two sides to the equation. One side is the trust axis and the other side is the agreement axis. But one thing that people underestimate is they look at the world in simplistic terms. Either you're for me and I like you and I trust you, or you're against me and I hate your guts and I'll never deal with you. Well, it turns out that sometimes you have to deal with people like that. Yeah. It could, well, be, then it could be your landlord, all right? And then the other thing is there could be people that I agree with Joe, but maybe I don't trust him. Mm. Or maybe I trust Trevor, but I don't necessarily agree with him. So there's there's multiple different 
uh, scenarios that are coming across. And then there's multiple parties. So the more complex the negotiations are, the better you have to understand all the parties involved. If it's as simple as I'm trying to haggle on the beach for a seashell bracelet and, you know, I have 10 bucks in my pocket and they want 15, then that's just you and them, man, oh, man, oh, woman, oh, woman, oh. But if it's a complex negotiation, like as uh, Joe was saying, you're trying to buy a business or you're trying to renegotiate with the main supplier, that gets much more complicated, particularly if there's multiple parties and interests involved. So what tools do people have to try and determine the motivations of their counterpart in a negotiation? Ask. So often we don't. Just say, in this negotiations, what do you need? What outcomes are you looking for? So you need to start with a curiosity factor. You need to start with an interview factor. You need to ask a lot of questions. And I remember serving with a city council member when I served um, on our Durango City Council. And he was uh, Bob Dolphin, since passed away, former president of Fort Lewis College. And he would show up at a meeting. He'd just start asking questions. And when he started asking questions, he'd peel the onion and then you could really see what was the point of the matter. So you need to ask both parties questions and you also need to be able to share what your needs and interests are. You know, to me, it's really important that we do this, this and this, but I'm more interested in what are your needs and how can we mutually structure a deal that's going to meet both those needs. So let's go back to kind of a lease example, because that's what we talked about in our finances episode. But you've negotiated a number of different leases at different locations. What were some of the motivations that you've seen and how did we respond to those? Back in, gosh, 2008, I think, Mark Stroop and I developed what we called the location calculator. And basically what, what, what it was, it was a calculated estimate of what we could afford in a lease based on several metrics. The first was, was traffic flow. Okay. Mm-hmm. If we knew that 20,000 cars were going by there a day, okay, and we got confirmation, I can expect between one to one and a half percent of those cars. Now, if you do the math real quick in your head, let me do it for you. Yeah, thank that, you. That, that is basically <laughs> 200 cars at 1%. Okay. So that's a pretty good day at the coffee shop. If you've got 200 customers, that means you've got good ingress, egress, you can get out of there, in there real easy. So that's a decent location. And so let's say then the next part of the metric was what, what's your average ticket price? Mm-hmm. Okay. So your average ticket price at, uh, if you've got 200 customers at 575, your average ticket price, that's actually $1,150 a day. All right. Which turns into about $34,500 a month. Okay. Now, once you've established, this is about what I'm going to be doing in a month, I can establish what I can afford then for a lease. Because what you don't want to do is overextend yourself and and pay way too much for a lease. And so uh, the way we do it, we pay between five to 9% of our gross monthly income. So let's say um, somebody comes to me and says, hey, I'm, I'm going to charge you $5,000 for this space. And you do the calculations and it comes up that oh my gosh, I'm going to be doing $34,500 a month. They're going to want to charge me five grand. Well, let me run what 7% of that, that $34,500 is. Well, guess what that is? That's $2,400. So they're about double what you can comfortably do. Yeah, that's when I walk out of the room. 
basically go, ah, I can't pay that way too much. I, I mean, unless I'm going to be seeing 400 customers a day, but that's a really busy location. If you're, you, you better have really good traffic flow, almost double the 20,000 to get to that 400 customer a day count. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that really let us, you know, kind of determine where we can negotiate. And I could tell that guy, you know, based upon our estimation and what we're going to bring in every month, I can't afford to pay 15% of my gross annual or monthly income on rent. It just doesn't work. And what you've really just led us to through that whole example was... Uh, tip number three that we've got is get on the same page. You got to yeah. be speaking the same language, looking at the same numbers and the same metrics. So Jasper, I, I want to know what you've got to add to getting on the same page. Yeah. So getting on the same page is looking at what would be a successful outcome for the negotiations and what wouldn't be a successful outcome. So one of the things that you need to get to before you you enter the table is your BATNA, the best alternative to negotiated agreement. Say, say that again. So it's a BATNA, best alternative to a negotiated agreement. Okay. And most people don't know what their BATNA is. So they walk into the negotiating room and they don't know, Joe just told you what his BATNA is. If it doesn't meet these financial metrics and several other things that are in the location calculator, he will walk from the room because he knows his BATNA and he has no problem walking from the room. And he also has 10 locations where he's leased. So any landlord that has any brains, some have brains, some don't. Uh, but anyway, if, <laughs> if anyone uh, has brains and they're a negotiator on the landlord side, they know that Joe has 10 leases, 10 stores. And if he's not happy, he'll walk. He's not faking it. It's not like the first thing he ever leased. So once you know your BATNA, then you can decide, am I, am I willing to go into this negotiation to make some sacrifices? But we've had several negotiations, some of which Joe and I have been involved in. I've been involved in some where that party didn't know what their walk away was. Mm. So getting on the same page is also knowing when you would rather go it alone. The second thing is going back on the needs-based negotiation, find out what both parties need. And then the third thing is how can you give and take during the negotiations? Maybe there's something that's super critical for you, like Joe needs certain financial metrics. And if, at that point, maybe the landlord says, you know, that's really less than I want to lease it for, but I really need you to be an anchor tenant in my location. Then maybe he'll compromise on that pricing in order to get a longer term lease. Those are just some examples. You know, and I think too, getting on the same page when we um, actually leased the last building in New Mexico, which is our East location, we had a hard time getting on the same page. But once we did, and I told him the most important thing to me was that 7% of the estimated amount of money that I would bring in each month. And once we looked at that, that's called a percentage lease, meaning that's what my lease will be. It's not a fixed amount, but for the first five years, based on just the economy and things, how they were going and all the other factors, that was the best outcome for me. And once I explained that to him, he was able to kind of move things around. We negotiated the deal. There is a, not a ceiling, but a, a bottom out. I mean, there's a minimum I will, will pay. But right now I'm paying 7%. He's happy. I'm happy. And I think we're going to renegotiate the deal after five years to see if we go to a fixed amount. But that's, that's fine. It's just making sure that people understand where you're coming from. Because I'll tell you, I don't know how many times when I've shown someone that calculator, they're like, oh my gosh, well, <laughs> let me, let me, let me relook at this. Maybe I'm asking too much. 
mm-hmm. you know, and if they find out they are asking too much, they come down to maybe closer to where I'm at, or if they come down to where I'm at, then they go, will you sign up? Not a five-year deal, but if I give you what you're asking, will you do a 10-year? Yeah. Or right. something like that. And then you're negotiating again. Do you want to put your neck out there that far? But it's really good deal. So you may come to the point where you're going, yeah, we can do it and shake hands and sign the papers. Well, and this may segue to your fourth point on there on the win-win. Oh, yeah. Is that we tend to lean on just what is, quote, the price. So negotiations, you show up at your banker's office, you're trying to get a loan. You're trying to negotiate the interest rate. Forget that. The interest rates are set at the national and international level. And so your best thing to do is try to negotiate the terms because you're not a big enough borrower to, to move the rate. The yeah. rate's going to be whatever it is, but you could negotiate terms. So that's exactly what Joe was getting at is that if that landlord was willing to come down on the pricing to meet his metric, he may be willing to sign a longer term lease, which is a terms negotiation. So we tend to spend too much time on the price and not enough time on the terms. So a lot of what you guys are talking about, I think, hinges on having a certain level of leverage or clout as someone in the negotiating seat. Is that something that we have a lot of control of? And if so, how, how can we gain or earn more leverage in a negotiation? I think for me is knowing my numbers. Like when I walk into a deal and I'm, I'm dealing with a vendor, let's say on the price for syrup. So we have a margin that we have to make, right? In a drink. We have like 75 to 80% margin we need to make on every drink that we make in house. And so if I'm looking at the, the, this vendor who's selling me syrup and they go, yeah, I'm going to charge you, you know, $8 and 50 cents per bottle. And then I look at, well, how much is that per ounce? And that's like 70 cents per ounce. Wow. What is that going to do to my price for yeah. this, for this latte that I'm, I'm selling? Well, all of a sudden my margin goes from 80 to 60. I go back to the vendor and I'm like, Hey, you're way overpriced on this. I mean, based upon um, industry standards, this is way out of bounds. And if they know that you know what you're talking about and you've done your homework, that person is way more apt to go, okay, well, where, where do you need that to be? And when they say that, you know that you can negotiate a really good deal. <laughs> when, when, we, when we bought Escalante, it was late 2012. They had a sign on the outside of the building that it was bank owned and it'd been empty for four years. But I knew what they were asking for this building like four years ago before 2012 and 2008. It was way out of my price range. Sure. Way out. And so it'd been there empty. So I called the bank. I said, hey, you guys, how much is this building right now? And she says, who are you? And I said, I own Durango Joe's Coffee. She goes, let me have you talk to the vice president. And so I said, oh, great. He puts me on the phone. I said, so yeah, I'm really interested in the building. I said, so how much is it? His words out of his mouth were, how much do you want to pay? And I put my hand over the phone and I about choked because I'm like, okay, now we're ready to negotiate. Yeah. This well, is, and you better be serious. About yeah. It. And so, you know, I gave him a number right on the spot. I said, I will pay this. And I said, I can close it in four weeks. And I had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> I just blurted it out. And he said, let's talk. 
And from that point, we were able to negotiate a deal. It was a little higher than what I blurted out, but it was fair. And it was a win-win. They were able to get that building off their books in 2013. We got a great deal on a building that is now our highest performing business in Durango Joe's. Yeah. So that was a fun negotiation, you know, because he gave me leverage right away. Mm-hmm. He asked me. Yeah. So that goes back to your question and Joe <clears throat> hit upon it. And that is you have to do your homework. So a lot happens before you get to the negotiating table and people underestimate this. There is um, some excellent books on negotiations. And so there's a thing called moving deals Northeast, which is that win-win. And a big part of the preparation is before you get to the negotiating table. So Joe had done his homework. He'd researched the property. He knew it would fit within his model if he'd get the price right. He knew what the price needed to be for him to make it work. And then he watched the building and then he made the call. So that was a question of timing. But he had four years of research before he, quote, blurted it out. So what he blurted out was, to the best of my ability after thinking about this for four years, here's a number that would work. But that was a prepared number. So maybe he blurted it that day, but he was well-researched. So that's another way to get leverage is do your homework. What I'm hearing is, to some degree, your reputation, your size, your establishment as a business owner plays a big role in your ability to negotiate. But even if you're starting out, there are some things you can do. You can do your homework. You can prepare ahead of time. And then you can wait for the right opportunity. Time is a huge helping hand in negotiation. Yeah, and I think to, to some point when you've got big deals on the books and you're trying to get something maybe like a real estate deal done or you're buying a business, but on the ground level, if you're, if you're just starting out in business, what I said earlier really will make a huge impact in whether or not you get this deal done is that know your numbers part, right? Know what the calculations are. Come up with the formula that gives you concrete information to give to a vendor that says, hey, I know what I'm talking about here. I know what industry standards are. And you don't have to be in the industry 20 years to figure that out. We have this thing called Google, and it really works well <laughs> if you want to research stuff. And so those are some things you can do. And, and you know, if any listener is out there that wants more information on the coffee side about negotiating some deals, we'd be more than happy to answer some of your questions and stuff like that. But absolutely. And then one final thing on that win-win is you have to decide. Some people approach negotiations from a transaction point of view, Mm -hmm. and some people approach it from a relationship point of view. And I'm not saying there's a right or wrong way on that, but I favor the relationship point of view because a transaction, if I deal with someone who's just transaction-oriented, I just try to get the deal done and and move away. But uh, relationship-oriented is super critical. So we've gone through a pretty challenging time in 2020. Mm -hmm. And my landlord actually approached me during 2020, but I knew several things uh, that he knew as well. He'd had empty space before I leased our present Durango space. So he knows he knew what empty looked like. Mm-hmm. He also saw me push 4,800 square feet back to my former landlord who tried to jack the pricing up on me if I went to a longer term lease. So he knows what empty looks like. And so he approached me for a 50% rent reduction during the beginning of COVID because he didn't want to lose me. Yeah, And that was based on relationships. So we'd worked a lot of things on a relationship where my landlord approached me, which is 
is Joe knows almost unheard I was going to say that for sounds... a landlord to show any mercy, kind of like a banker trying to show mercy. And so in this particular case, that was a relationship-based negotiation. So you have to decide, do you want to negotiate this and have that person hate you forever and you hate them? Or do you want to try to create a relationship? And I think part of what Joe's negotiating strength has been is he's trying to create relationships. So if it's a lose-lose, obviously he's not going to do the deal. But even if it, he wins and the other party loses, he might be hesitant because of how it impacts the relationship. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think there's countless examples I've seen of that. I mean, even even in our negotiation, it's been a, much more about the relationship and the resources that we're providing each other yeah. and a lot less about the the bottom line right. of the contract, more yeah. or less. So that's been very cool to see and very valuable. Yeah, and I think, you know, just on the level that, that that we're talking about with you and you're transferring out of Durango Joe's and starting your own company, you're going to be an entrepreneur, you know, and I'm your first contracted customer and we negotiated that deal. We've negotiated licensing agreement, mm-hmm. you know, infringement things, you know, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid that you're going to do all that, but as a as a new entrepreneur, owner of your own company, you need to realize that those things are out there and, and you need to, you know, um, realize that you got to protect yourself and, you know, other parties and negotiating deals. It all is part of it. And, uh, and that's part of really our last point is, um, really being willing to walk away. I mean, you, like you said, Jasper, a lot of our dealings is relationship based negotiation. And I don't, I don't want to do a deal if it's going to wreck a really good relationship. That doesn't make sense to me, you know. Um, if it's a win-win, it helps everybody. But you got to know what your walkaway is, and yep. it, it, you just can't do every deal because you like the guy or Correct. girl. You know, mm-hmm. you you've got to have your walkaway. And there's been times, like recently, we walked away walked from a away. deal, mm-hmm. and it was, I th- I would say ninety five percent of it was relationship reasons. Well, the other thing you have is, and Joe knows that I'm, I'm kind of famous for Jasperism. So oh, one yeah. of them is too many wrongs don't make it right. And so if you're in the middle of the negotiations and this isn't quite right and that term's not quite right and that person didn't respond the way that you thought they should and this part of the deal isn't really going to work for you, you start adding those up and too many wrongs don't make it right. So you're motivated to get a deal done but there's just too many things that aren't quite right. And I think that affected us this last time around. Yeah. There's just too many things that weren't quite right. And some of Joe's advisors are going, you know, I'm un- uncomfortable with that. Maybe you should be too. So there, there are things like that where almost the things that are not going right overweight the deal. And maybe you just need to walk away because remember, you can always come back. So when you have a walk away on a deal, Uh, We had a situation occur on uh, some client work that I'm doing, and I told the client, you need to walk away and let them think about it, and they'll be back. And sure enough, they were back. I've heard similar stories uh, actually negotiating a car price from a dealership, too. (laughs) Yep. I guess if we're going to wrap on anything, what's the biggest advice we can give on negotiations? Yeah, I'd say three things. One is you're dealing with people. And so people will change their minds. Uh, there's going to be emotional um, issues when I'm doing buy sells with clients. I tell them it's going to be an emotional roller coaster. So you're dealing with people. Uh, the second thing is you're dealing with money, usually money or time. 
people get into fights if they're making money or losing money, which is all the time. And so that's why they can get pretty intense. And then the final thing is the world probably won't end one way or another, whether you are successful in the negotiation or not. The world will continue on. The sun will come up the next day. And so sometimes you just have to look at it as a little bit of a sport and just see what happens and be flexible. Jasper is a wealth of information. I so appreciate you coming on today with us. Thank you for making yourself available to us, Jasper. I know you're busy and we're looking forward to a great new year. Yeah. Have a great rest of your day. And thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Durango Joe's podcast. If you enjoyed it, I hope you'll give us a rating and review. The Durango Joe's podcast is published by Durango Joe's Coffee. It's written, recorded, and produced by yours truly. You can now find me over at brewedup.com. That's P-R-W-D-U-P.com. Durango Joe's. Love people. Love coffee. Man, I just have Kenny Rogers stuck in my head now. <laughs> gotta know when, when to hold him. Know when to fold him, yeah. That's, maybe you gotta use, you gotta, to walk you away. gotta use that as a as a an intro or an exit.